0: As we continue and truly near the end of our time going through the prophets of Elijah and Elisha and their ministry to God's people, I invite you this morning to open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings is still one of the Old Testament books, and so you'll go Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, then 1st and 2nd Kings and Chronicles. I know that there actually is a song to help you learn how to memorize those. I was not taught that song as a kid, so I just used the theme song from Robin Hood instead. Genesis and Exodus, Lyticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. So if you're in Chronicles, you've gone too far, go back just a little bit to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 6, one thing you um, might note, uh, one is that we might have skipped an important story. Um, 2 Kings 5 is the story of Naaman being healed from leprosy. Um, That is a good story and an important one, and we are actually going to get to it. This is the one time that we're actually going out of order. Um, Reason being, uh, this Sunday and then next Sunday, I'll be in 2 Kings chapter 6. Um, Pastor Audrey did a lot of work with 2 Kings 5 when she was in seminary, and, you know, we wrestled, she won, so she gets to preach 2 Kings 5. Over Labor Day, Um, and so we are going to come back to the healing of Naaman. But this morning we'll be in 2 Kings chapter 6, Um, simply verses 1 through 7. It's a short text, and I invite you to follow along with me as we read God's Word, and before we do so, let's ask God's blessing upon his Word. Lord, may your Word be our rule, your Holy Spirit our teacher. And the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, our primary and utmost concern. Speak, O Lord, for we, your servants, listen. With hearts eager to engage your word, with lives that need to be challenged and shaped and formed by your word through your Holy Spirit. Speak, O Lord, for we listen. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. The company of prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to live. And he said, Go. Then one of them said, Won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied, and he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh my Lord, he cried, it was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand. And took it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is one simple truth in the laws of physics that we all understand. There's a few probably, but one obvious one is that iron doesn't float. An axe head does not float. If we were to go out to Lake Michigan and throw this axe out into the lake, it would not float it would sink to the bottom and we would have a very difficult time getting it back and i do that because just like the unnamed prophet in this story who borrowed the axe i borrowed this axe for this sunday and i don't want to have to go to paul rohorse later and say paul i lost your axe it fell in the water And there's just no way to get it back. I don't think Paul would be very happy with me, as nice of a guy as he usually is. But what I can guarantee you is that he probably wouldn't lend me anything again. Axes don't float. This part up here is heavy. It would sink in the water. Now, how did this all happen anyway? Well, as it would be, you can see a little bit of wear and tear on this axe handle because as you use an axe, and we'll do so ever so gently, a lot of the stress and f- and pressure is right at the top near the axe head. So that's where it starts to splinter and break. And eventually, repeated use, the axe handle will break and the head will be separated from it. And so you can imagine that as the prophets go out, as they're building this new place, as they swing their axes There's some stress, and when the axe head came back, it flew off, and of all places, it couldn't have landed just on the ground. It couldn't have landed on the shore. It went into the Jordan River, and the unnamed prophet who's in the company of prophets with Elisha cries out and says, it was borrowed. Now, why is that such a big deal? I know if we lost this, I would feel bad, but I could go and replace one. But there's a few layers to the story on why this unnamed prophet who lost the axe head is feeling a great deal of shame and is very anxious about what just happened. One, it is a source of shame to damage and lose someone else's property. We can identify with that a little bit today. And so for him to lose the axe head would be source one of shame. But source two of shame is that the prophet's, are not wealthy people. They don't have regular wages. Therefore, it is unlikely that this prophet would be able to purchase a new axe head to replace, which would be the most fair way forward. Second source of shame. He can't replace what he lost. But the third source of shame and anxiety is the reason that he can't replace it. Axe heads are difficult to come by in the ancient Near East. There's an archaeological reason why that's true. At this point in time, we are still in what would be called the emerging iron age. So, you know, we had the stone age where we built things out of stone. We had the bronze age where our tools were bronze. The iron age comes after that, but it emerges slowly because we didn't just send out a group email of here's how to work iron and all everybody switches over to it. Iron tools are still scarce. They're hard to come by. And so for the man of God to lose this axe head means that it might be very difficult even for the person who loaned it to him to be able to get a new one. This is a deep source of shame. There's a good chance that it might have been imported from somewhere else. And there's not just a whole bunch of iron workers and blacksmiths nearby. The axe head would be difficult to replace. And so how does he react He simply cries out and said, Oh my Lord, it was borrowed. And everyone who would read this text in that day and age would know how much stress and anxiety and shame was behind those words. I broke something that wasn't mine. It's too expensive for me to replace. And even the person who had it might have a very difficult time getting another one. This is frightening. Now, of course, if I were to break this axe and if some of it flew off, maybe I'd go kayak in the afternoon and I'd bring an axe with because, well, you know, never go kayaking without an axe. I don't really know why. But if I lost it, I would have to go to Paul and say, and I'd use the best pun I could come up with, Paul, I'm sorry, it was an accident. Oh, there's your lame pun for the day. But the prophet... Does not make excuses. The prophet does not blame circumstances. How do you react when something goes wrong? What's your instinct? We all have certain patterns and ways of being. For some of us, it might be to immediately distance ourselves from the problem and and even blame the circumstances around us. You know what? That axe handle was getting a little bit thin at the top. It was starting to splinter. It was only a matter of time before the axe head fell apart and came off of the handle. Maybe we blame circumstance. Or maybe we blame the person that helped us in the first place. And so we say, how dare someone lend me an axe that was so ready to be broken? Why would they give me an axe that was in that kind of shape and condition? The prophet could have done that. Or maybe when something goes wrong and we feel that sense of blame, we just bring it all on ourselves. And it's not just that the axe is broken, but that we're broken and we're terrible and nobody should ever lend us anything because we're such a horrible person. We can blame circumstances, we can turn it on someone else, we can just carry it all on our own and be despondent. These are all options. Responses to when something goes wrong can be blame, displacement, circumstance, or just sinking right into the gutter of hopelessness. This man of God, this prophet, is freaking out. And rightfully so, but he doesn't blame anyone else. He just states the simple fact, it was borrowed. This is a big deal. But Elisha does not seem to be anxious, doesn't seem to be really phased by any of this. Now, this whole story starts in 2 Kings chapter 6 with a good problem. The prophets are too numerous to be where they currently are. This is a great change from the days of Elijah, when Elijah thought he was the only one left, when Obadiah was hiding prophets in caves to keep them safe from Ahab. Now, the prophets of the Lord are out in the open. There's more of them out in the open, and there's too many to gather in this one place. So they tell Elisha, we need to go build a new place. And they start at it right away. The Jordan must be an olive township. They got their permit soon. (laughs) I'm done. I'm sorry. (laughs) I really shouldn't have said that. But they go, and they're building a new place. It's the new place for the prophets to be. This is a good problem. But Elisha does not seem very worked up about anything. Hey, we're going to go to the Jordan. Will you come with us? Yeah, sure. Um, Well, and uh, now, okay, other things are happening. Elisha just seems to be around. He almost doesn't seem like he's even going to go with. Should we build a place? Sure. Are you going to come with us? Yeah, sure. An axe head fell in the water. Oh, okay. Elisha just is unfazed through all of this. He, to me, almost seems nonchalant through this whole story. His simple response when this prophet cries out, Oh my Lord, it was borrowed. The man of God, Elisha, simply asks, Where did it fall? As if, no big deal, no problem, we're going to get it back. And then what does Elisha do? He does something, once again, that should not work, and yet it does. He takes a stick, he cuts a stick, and throws a stick at the water. And the axe head floats, and the prophet goes in and lifts it out. That shouldn't work. This is, once more, one of those peculiar miracles where God has intervened with the very laws of physics— Because an iron axe head doesn't float. And throwing a stick at the Jordan River would not make this float. And yet it does. But if you look through the stories of Elisha that we've covered, even the weird ones like the bear story, which is still one of my favorites, Elisha has a history of taking whatever he has available and throwing something at something else, and a miracle comes out of it. Consider that when Elisha was in Jericho and the water was unproductive, he just throws some salt at it, and it heals the water. Later on, a widow comes to him and says she has nothing left. He says, just pour oil in containers. It'll work out just fine. Then later on yet, there's the death in the pot story in 2 Kings 4, where the the gathering of herbs and vines is in this pot and it's making people sick. And Elisha says, just throw some flour at it. It'll be fine. Feeding of a hundred. We can't put this many loaves in front of this many people. Just put it in front of them. It'll be fine. An axe head falls in the Jordan River. Throw a stick at it. It'll be fine. As I've followed the ministry of Elisha, I almost get the sense that Elisha is just making this up as he goes. Throw salt into water to heal it. Throw flour in a pot to make the soup better. Throw a stick in the Jordan River to make an axe head float. It's almost like he just knows that the Lord is with him and that if he's faithful, God will be glorified through his faithfulness. So he just grabs whatever he has available, throws it at it, and a miracle comes out. There might actually be something to the fact that Elisha is somewhat making this up as he goes but it's because he knows that the Lord is with him. Elisha knows in the deepest depths of his heart and soul that God is with him and that God will work it out. Elisha knows that God will be glorified when Elisha is faithful. And so Elisha does not make complaints or excuses about what he doesn't have on hand or the power that he doesn't have. Whenever a problem arises, Elisha does not ever once complain about what he doesn't have. He takes whatever he has available, whether it be salt or flour or a stick or empty containers. Elisha takes whatever he has, and God uses it, and God is glorified in its using. If there's one piece of this text for us to take into our week, It's wondering what does it look like for you to use whatever God has already given you and how can God be faithfully glorified through your faithful action? Too often we think I can't do anything because I don't have this or I'm not a person who can do that. And yet for Elisha, it's never a matter of what he does or doesn't have. It's the simple matter of working with what is already there. Elisha knows that the Lord is with him. He knows it'll all work out, and he goes through life with that kind of trust. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Would you throw a stick in the water to make an axe head float in front of a whole bunch of people? Sure, if you already knew it was going to work. Elisha knows that God will use that stick and somehow make the axe head float. Our response to circumstances and frustration can often be to point at what's missing or what's lacking or maybe just to dismiss ourselves of it because we don't think we can help. But that's not the response of Elisha. It's not the response of one of God's prophets and it shouldn't be our response as people of God who have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. There are situations even in our own state in our nation that are a big hot mess right now and sometimes we can dismiss through circumstance and say the problems seem far away or maybe the solutions are too big or they're they're beyond us they're beyond our control or our power or our influence or concern but sometimes the problems aren't so far away are they And maybe the solutions that we want on a grandiose scale aren't the ones we get. Elijah wanted the entire nation to turn back to God. And that didn't happen in the fullness that Elijah wanted it to throughout his life. But Elijah did have one faithful successor, Elisha. And Elisha's followers have grown to the point where they've outsized the camp that they were once at. What do you have right in front of you? Our circle of concern might be very, very large, and our circle of influence might be a little bit smaller. But that doesn't take away from the circle of influence that we do have, and that our circle of influence can be applied to a much greater circle of concern. And Elisha does that by working with whatever he has in front of him, with whatever situation comes his way watching news headlines, watching a lot of uh, back and forth and backlash, a lot of demonizing. The one thing that has given me the most hope is seeing people simply remark that these problems do seem so big. What's happening in Charlottesville seems very big. And to see two people from within here post quite simply, the one thing that I know I can do is I can raise my kids in the right way to know that Jesus loves all the children, to know that God loves all of God's people. That is my circle of influence, and that cannot be taken away from me. And that's my contribution to this bigger problem. That's my circle of influence that I can push towards a much bigger circle of concern, but that our influence still exists and that it is real. And that if the Lord is with us, God can use whatever we have available to make something bigger and better than ourselves happen in the midst of it. My friends, the Lord be with you. Go throw a stick at something. And I don't mean that literally. In fact, right now is a time where, as Christians, we should be especially cautious about responding in violence or responding in kind when hate is met with hate, when violence is met with violence. In fact, that's not how Jesus taught us to live. But we can be like Elisha and take that one stick that we have that we can cut and throw into the problem and something bigger than us might come out of it. Things that seem irredeemable and irretrievable are not beyond the scope of God's redemption and they are not beyond the scope of God retrieving them. God made the axe head float. What can God do in your life Jack and Carrie, I think of you both today as young parents, knowing that there's going to be moments where you're just going to mess up, right? And that's not exclusive to you. That's all of us. Any perfect parents in the room? And there will be those situations that feel like, we blew it, right? We messed up. Maybe they've already happened. I don't know. And if they have, he doesn't remember them, so it's fine. (laughs) But those messy situations, oh, we wish we could take them back. This story reminds us, God can redeem that situation. Maybe it's a fight between us and our spouse. Maybe it's something we said or did in front of our kids that we shouldn't have. God can redeem the act. We wish we could just take back time and have a do-over. That's not how redemption works. Redemption is the fixing of something that is broken. It's not turning back time so we can never make mistakes. Redemption is the process of God intervening in our mistakes. And in the mistakes of this world, taking brokenness and making it whole again, taking hatred, which we can't fix. We can't fix people's hearts, but God can fix people's hearts. Prejudice is learned behavior, and it's instituted through generations and insulated by propaganda. We can't take that away from the world. But we can teach our children. And P.S., for all of us and the promises that we made here today, Our children is each and every one of God's children. It's every man, woman, and child that is in this room right now. Because we, as a people, listen to the Holy Spirit. We do this for one another. We do this for ourselves. It takes a village to raise a child. It takes a church to raise up disciples. And God can make the iron axe heads float. Things that we don't think can be fixed or made better can be redeemed. My friends, remember that the Lord is with you. Take whatever influence you have, take whatever is around you, and throw a stick at it. Throw a stick at the problem in front of you. That might be so simple as making an apology, even an apology for something that you don't think you did anything wrong. It might be so big as confronting someone in your past. Throw a stick at it. See how Jesus showed up for people And some of the best work we can do, like Elisha, is trust God and continue to learn to live and love the way Jesus lived and loved and to remember that even the axe head at the bottom of the Jordan is not irredeemable or irretrievable by the measure and scope and power of God's grace. That is the promise that Christ made to us when he said, Remember, I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. Let's pray together. God, we are quick to blame circumstance. We are quick to blame our neighbor. We are quick to distance ourselves from problems or explain how it wasn't our fault. Lord, use us as instruments of your grace and redemption just as Elisha was a man of your redemption and presence. Lord, allow our words, our actions, our thoughts, and our deeds to be used by you. And in all of us, give us the calm that Elisha had in knowing that you are with us. You are with us, Lord. Send us out in confidence, in your grace and power, and with your love that the world so desperately needs. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.